Good morning. Um, welcome to our uh, Talmud Learning Initiative. We are on the top of 3A, Gimel Amud Aleph. And yesterday, or last podcast, we spoke about different opinions as to when is the earliest time we can say the evening Shema. And now we'll find that within the different Baraisas and the Mishnah quoted, there were some internal contradictions. So Kasha, the first line, first word, first line on top of 3A. Kasha de Rebbe Mer Adar We have a contradiction in the opinion of Rebbe Mer. One Brisa says Rebbe Mer felt that the earliest time for Shema was one way. Another Brisa said that it was a different way. How can we reconcile that? And we answer, Trey Tanai Aliba de Rebbe Mer. There must have been two different scholars of the Mishnah that understood Rebbe Mer's opinion differently. And the two Brisas reflect the two different opinions as to what Rebbe Mer felt. We also have a contradiction in Rabbi Eliezer. The Mishnah tells us that Rabbi Eliezer felt that the earliest time for saying Shema is three stars come out when a Kohen can once again eat Shruma. And then the Brisa gave us a completely different time. So how do we reconcile that? So we have two ways to reconcile that. Either Either we can say the same thing we just said. There are two different Mishnaic scholars that um, felt that Rabbi Eliezer's opinion was one way and the other felt that it was another way. Or if you want, I can say this is a second possible way to reconcile. That the beginning of the Mishnah was actually not Rabbi Eliezer. Because the Mishnah, the uh, first Mishnah in Brachos, told us that from when can we read Shema in the evening? From the time that the Kohen can once again eat Truma until the end of the first watch, these are the words of Rabbi Eliezer. So we had originally understood that both the beginning time and end time stated in the Mishnah was the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. But what we're saying now is perhaps only the end time is the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. And the beginning time is a, an opinion that is uh, not given, that is not said to be in the name of anyone. So... That is the way the Mishnah sometimes work, and it's just a reference to a an opinion generally held by the sages, by a majority opinion. But um, what we would see here then is, what we'd be answering here then is that the beginning time said in the Mishnah of when the Kohen goes into Yitzhuma was actually not the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer was only the person that said the end time of at the end of the first watch. And therefore, we do not have to have a contradiction. We do not have a contradiction between Rabbi Eliezer and the Mishnah and Rabbi Eliezer in the Brisa. Now we will go back and focus on the words of the Mishnah. So if you'll see, we see there's a colon and then a couple words and a colon. This is to tell us what we're going back to discuss. At Sofa Ashmura, you can say Shema until the end of the first watch. Micah Sava Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer, who said you could say Shema until the end of the first watch, what exactly does he feel? Lema ad Arba shows if he feels that the night is made up of three watches, and you have a twelve-hour night, so and, and the night is made up of three watches. So why does he tell us you can say Shema until the end of the third watch? Let him just say Lema ad Arba shows. Just let him say that you can say Shema until four hours into the night. Why didn't he just say that much simpler? And if he felt that there was four watches to a night which is a legitimate opinion as well, then he should have said, 
Why didn't he just say that you can say Shema until three hours into the night? Why does he talk about watches? Just say the time very simply. Now, just to sidetrack for a moment, when we talk about the watches, what they really refer to are groups of angels that praise God um, on rotation. So the, if there's three watches in the night, then there's three groups of angels that praise God and sing God's praises for four hours during the night. And if there's four watches, then there's four groups of angels for three hours each. Um, so why does Rabbi Eliezer, so back to the Gemara, why does Rabbi Eliezer explain the end time for Shema in a way of watches? Why doesn't he just tell us the time, the actual time? So we answer as follows. The Olam Kasavar Shalosh Mishmaros Havi Halayla, Rabbi Eliezer holds that a watch, that a night is made up of three watches, and this is what Rabbi Eliezer was teaching us by telling us that the Shema time ends according to watches and not according to hours. This is what he was teaching us. He was teaching us that just like there are watches in the heaven, these heavenly uh, groups of angels, so too are there watches here on earth. Meaning, there are signs here on earth that tell us when a specific watch is going on. Titania, because we like we learned in a brisa, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Rabbi Eliezer says, Shalosh Mishmaros Habe Halayla. There are three watches in the even, in the night. I'll call Mishmar Mishmar, and during each one of these watches, Yoshev Hakadosh Baruch Hu Ka'ari, God sits and roars like a lion, but more cries out, um, and he cries out, and God cries out about the destruction of the temple and the exile of the Jewish people. And where do we know that God roars out like a lion? At three times during the night. Shenemar, we have a verse from Jeremiah, from Yirmiah, that says, Hashem yimarom yishag, God roars from the heights. Umimaon kacho yiten kolo, and he gives his voice from his um, his holy lodging. Sha'og yishag al nevehu, God roars, he surely roars, al nevehu, because of his lodging. So we see that the word roar is said three times about God's lodging, so about the temple and the exile of the Jewish people. So we see God cries out or words like a lion three times during the night. The Simon Ladavar, and we can tell when each watch is happening by, by seeing things going on here on earth. Um, and what how does that work? Mishmara Rishona Chamor Noer. The first watch, we can know that you that we're at the first watch if you hear the donkey braying. The second watch we can know by the dogs screaming or dogs crying out. And Shlishis, and the third watch, which is closest to daybreak, that's you'll know that that's happening when a Tinoch Yonek Mishte Imo, when a child, when a young baby um, nurses from the breast of his mother. And when a wife and husband speak, because those that share a room together, they will get up together and they'll chat in the morning. And that's what we're referring to here, that we know that the it's we're in the, at the third watch when either one of these two things happen. So now the question is, so now we gave earthly signs for when the heavenly watches happen. But a heavenly watch is either three or four hours. So at what point of the watch do these physical things happen? So my kachash of Rabbi Eliezer, when Rabbi Eliezer was talking about these physical signs, what was what part of the watch was Rabbi Eliezer? Uh, what part of the watch was Rabbi Eliezer referencing? 
if these physical signs herald, let us know when the beginning of the watch is taking place. Why does the first watch, why does the beginning of the first watch even need a sign? The beginning of the first watch is at nightfall, when three stars come out. We don't need any other sign other than that. Simana Lamali, why does it need a sign? Ortahu, it's when night happens. Isof Mishmaros Kachashiv, and if Rabbi Eliezer is giving us physical signs to know when the end of the watches are, Sof Mishmara Acharona Lamali, why do we need a physical sign for the end of the third watch? Simana Yamamahu, it's when day breaks. El rather it must be, Rabbi Eliezer is referencing, Sof Mishmara Rishona, the end of the first watch, Utchilas Mishmara Acharona, and the beginning of the third watch, and the middle of the middle watch. That must be what these physical signs reference. V'ibayis Ema, or if you want I can say, Kuluhu Sof Mishmaros Kachashiv, that all of the signs are actually referenced, actually let us know when the end of the watch takes place. And if you're going to tell me that we don't need a sign for the end of the last watch, because it's obvious it's when day breaks, so why would we need a sign? So it's It's in order to let somebody know when they can say Shema, morning Shema, which happens, which you can start saying at daybreak. So it's to it's a sign for somebody to be able to start saying Shema, who is dwelling in a house without windows, so it's completely dark. They don't know when daybreak t- is taking place. So now they can know that daybreak must be taking place once they hear the, uh, the child nursing, so perhaps the cooing of the child, or they hear a husband and wife getting up together and chatting. Lo yada, so for somebody that is sleeping in a dark house, but bias afel, velo yada zman emas, and he does not know when is the time for saying the morning shema. So kivan di isha misaparasimbala. So once a woman is, once a wife is chatting with her husband, the tinok yonek mishte imo, or a child, a baby is nursing from the breast of his mother, lekum velikri, that's a sign that he can get up and say shema. Now we're just going to have another little, um, another teaching along the same lines. Amar Rav Yitzchak Bar Shmuel, Rav Yitzchak, the son of Shmuel, said, Mishmei the Rav, he said this in the name of Rav, Gimel Mishmaros Havei Halayla, there are three watches at night, Al Kol Mishmar, O Mishmar, Yoshev HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ka'ari, and for each watch, and during each watch, God sits and roars like a lion. Va'omer, and he says, and God says, Oy Libanim Shabavano Sehem, Hecharavti is basin, he says, Woe is to my children, because of their sins, I destroyed my house, referring to the temple. The Sarafti is Hechali, and I burnt my sanctuary. And I exiled them amongst the nations of the world. Okay, now we're going to veer off and um, talk about a uh, something tangential that we'll see does still have re- relevance. Tanya, we learned in Abraisa. Amar and just by the way, before we go on, this whole thing with the watches, I made it, I'm just reading and translating and explaining a little bit. Legal significance as well. Um, now we're going to talk about a story that again may seem quite trivial, 
in reality also has ramifications, great ramifications in Jewish law and again in Jewish ethics as well. Tanya, we learned in a Braitsa. Amr Yossi says, One time I was walking on the road. I was journeying. And I went into a ruin. One of the ruins of Jerusalem to pray. I wanted to, be, I wanted to have privacy when I prayed. So I didn't want to do it while I was on the road. Elijah the prophet. His memory is good. Um, his, his, we remember him for good. He came and waited for me at the entrance until I finished praying. Until I finished praying. When I finished praying, Omar Lee, he said to me, Shalom Alecha Rebbe. He said, Peace unto you, my teacher. And I answered back, Shalom Alecha Rebbe Umori. Peace be unto you, my Rebbe and my, 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 my teacher and my master. And he asked me, Why did you go into this ruin? I went in to pray. And I knew it could be a bit dangerous, but I thought that the merit of my prayers would stand by me. Amarli, he said, no, you are wrong. You should have prayed on the road, not gone in, put yourself in a dangerous situation. So I answered him, I was nervous, I was feared that if I davened on the road, if I prayed on the road, then the passerbys would interrupt me. By the way, usually in the Talmud, when it talks about prayer, it's a reference specifically to the Shemona Essay or the Amida, the most important prayer service made up of 19 blessings, um, the Shemona Essay or the Amida. So he said, I was afraid that I would be interrupted. So Eliyahu, Elijah answered him, You should have said then the, abbrevi the abbreviated version of the Shemona Esrei of the Amida, which we will talk about later on. So Rabbi is saying that at that, Rabbi Yossi says, I learned from Elijah three things from that story. I learned that you do not go into a ruin, even if you want to pray. And I also learned that if you don't have other where other areas to pray, then you should certainly pray on the road. And I learned that if you are praying on the road, then you should say the abbreviated prayer. So now we're going back to the story of Eliyahu and Rabbi Yossi. Eliyahu asked Rabbi Yossi, B'ni ma'kol shamata b'chor vazu? What did you hear when you were in the ruins? Amartilo, and I answered him, and this is where we're, uh, that it, this is the connection to the last piece of Gemara that we learned. I answered him, Shamati baskol, I heard a heavenly voice, Sheminahemes kiyona, that was cooing like a dove, the Omeris, and was saying, Oi libanim sha'avovonoseim hecharafti esbesi. And it said, Woe is to my children, that because of their sins I destroyed my house. And I burnt my sanctuary. And I exiled my children amongst the nations. So Eliyahu told me, By your life and the life of your head, this is a promise. Meaning, I promise you, Rabbi Yossi. God does not just say, did not just say that at that moment that you were there. Rather, every single day, God says this three times every day, a reference to during those three watches at night.
Belozo Bilvad, and not only this, Ella, rather Bishashe Yisrael Nichnasin Labate Kenesios Ulabate Mijashos, rather any time that God enters the synagogues and the places of study and prayer, the Onim and God finds the Jewish people answering to the Kaddish prayer, Yehei Shemei Hagadom Vorach, may the name May God's name be great and blessed, which is the which is the part of the Kaddish prayer that the congregation answers to. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, at that very point, Hashem, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Rosho, God shakes his head in sadness, the Omer, and says, Ashrei Hamelech Shemakalsin Oso Bebiso, praiseworthy is the King, lucky is the King, who they who is blessed and who is praised in his own home, a reference to God being blessed in the temple, which is no longer. And then he continues on, Woe is to a father that exiles his children, and woe is to the children that were exiled from the table of their father. Now that we started talking about ruins and praying in ruins, we're going to talk about entering ruins in general. There are three reasons not to go into ruins. First reason is because of chashad, because of suspicion. Prostitutes used to meet people in these very deserted, out-of-way areas. And, and the, were nervous that if you would go into a ruin, people would think you were meeting a prostitute there which obviously also has very interesting legal ramifications of not putting yourself into a situation where people could think low of you. Neham which again obviously has many details. Neham the second reason you should not go into a ruin is because it may fall on you, because a ruin is not something that's sturdy and it's dangerous. and because of the negative spirits, that um, that abound in ruins, and that obviously is a bit more of a mystical thing, um, just to keep in mind. Uh, let's finish up. So the first reason we gave as to why not to go into ruins, because people may think less of you, they'll think that you are meeting a prostitute. The table claim is polis. Now the obvious question is, is if about dangerous because it may fall on you, then why would we even get to another reason of having to do with people thinking less of you? The fact that it's dangerous should be reason enough. Why do we bother mentioning a second reason and a third reason? So we'll just answer that. We'll read the first word on 3b. Bichadati. We're referencing, the reason we need the reason of the suspicion is because what about a ruin? It's the ruin of a new building. You have a wall, for instance, in a new building that was that is now a ruin that collapsed. We don't worry that the rest of the building will now collapse. So really there's no reason... As far as danger is concerned as to why not to enter it, but there still would be the suspicion reason, and that's why we mention it. So um, we will stop here for today. We spoke about we spoke about how we reconcile contradictions in opinions. We spoke about the more mystical concept of the watches, the physical signs here on earth for when the watches are taking place and what happens during each of those watches. And then we spoke about ruins and this interesting discussion between Rabbi Yossi and Elijah the prophet. Um, we learned a little bit more about uh, what happens during each of the watches, and then we started talking about entering. And then we learned some important uh, details about and that has important legal ramifications. And then we started going back to talk about the ruins again, which we will continue with tomorrow. 
I hope you have a great day and enjoy listening, and I look forward to being in touch. As always, please don't hesitate with questions, comments, and insights.